The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to, to the Legendarium. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our Stone Sky episode. I'm really excited for this one because I thought the discussion was really fantastic. But I wanted to pop in here and just warn you that there were some audio issues with a new system that I'm using. Uh, just still trying to work the bugs out. But uh, yeah, hopefully it's not too bad. And I hope you enjoy, enjoy the discussion as much as we did. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is uh, the Stone Sky, the third book in the Broken Earth trilogy. Uh, we are we have we have reached the end. We've reached the conclusion. I am Craig, your host, and over there he is Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. No insult today, Ryan. I uh, just finished the book, so I didn't have time to insult you. How do you feel? Uh, I feel it's kind of odd because you usually come up can come up with them on the fly. So. Well, I mean, I. Could, but uh, the book themed ones I understand the need to craft. That's those. that's right. And over on the other side of the room, it's Sarah. Welcome back, Sarah. Happy to be here. You know, we get a lot of comments about uh, you know more Sarah. You're like the cowbell of the podcast. People <laughs> just can't seem to get enough. So, so flattered. Wow. <laughs> so uh, glad you're back. Um, of course, it's easy to schedule when it's your own wife. So well, that makes don't it make it sound. I that makes it sound like I don't have a life. I'm just hanging out like. Anytime you want to do a podcast, sweetie, I'm free and easy. <laughs> and that is not the case. <laughs> I, I, uh, boy, uh, so many jokes. Uh, but I'll, I'll leave them alone. <laughs> As um, a wise man should. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> There's some material for an insult if you need. So uh, so the, the Stone Sky. Very interested to talk about this book. Uh, and I know that there are plenty of people who are who have been interested in us getting to this point. Um, and so it has taken a while. We started fifth season. Gosh, it must have been three or four months ago um, when we did that More, episode. I feel like I feel like it's been <laughs> it's such been a long while. time. But um, yeah, life life kind of got in the way, uh, especially for me. You guys have been done for a while. Um, but it's not just that life got in the way. But maybe we can get to that in in a moment um people will be expecting a recap which we do not have for them so it's not a we thing it's a you thing <sighs> fine right I yeah mean, <laughs> maybe true. we could have come up with one we could have well um i, I was hoping that uh ryan do you want to do you want to give us a brief rundown of kind of the broad strokes of what happened in this book we pick up the story uh as soon uh, wakes up going with the crew, they're going to go take over the city that she killed everyone in in the last book. Right, which I can't remember the name of, uh, but that's okay. Renanus. Renanus, yeah, thank Renanus. you. Yeah. Uh, so we follow that group there for a little bit. She resumes her quest-ish for to find her daughter. She keeps wanting to go on that quest, but things keep getting in the way. And uh, eventually, we all end up at a, um, a core point. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah. We all end up at Core Point, where her daughter Nasun and Shafa have gathered. She goes there uh, again, searching for her, um, and they're basically going to try and set right what was done wrong. And then we have this whole additional narrative that is introduced in this book of the story of Silanagist. Right. Which, okay. Yeah. So now we've got two 
two narratives. Well, okay, we have the third in Sil Anagist, like you said. Is it Sil Anagist? I'm trying to remember if that's exactly right, but uh, but that's the prequel story of how the how the Stone Eaters were born, how uh, origins came to be, how the moon got blasted away from Earth. Right, it's a- and so story. it's yeah, exactly Hoa's origin story, um, and uh, and also Sil- no silver's the magic steel steel uh, his steel origin story and what a ruby antimony her- yeah antimony. all of them yeah. where they all came from and so that story kind of sets the sets the scene for when we get to core point and then we've got two uh two stories that get us there we've got essen who's going to uh use the obelisk gate to uh, essentially lasso the moon put it back in orbit and fix what was done wrong with the moon and then nasun is there to use the obelisk gate to turn the world everybody in the world into stone eaters eventually that becomes her goal right. it wasn't her initial goal but yes she she's is. what 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 is her initial goal she goes there to what destroy the world it, make the moon collide with right her. that's what yeah. i thought yeah that's okay yeah so as she's going there that's why she initially goes mm-hmm. and then once she gets there oh boy some stuff happens yeah she so, wants the best of both worlds and both of her choices that she's given when she has there's a conversation she has with uh steel i believe where um is it steel mm-hmm. i don't remember i think so but it's basically if you do the if you do this shafa will live forever but he'll be alone and, t- and he'll be miserable but if you don't do this then he's going to die and so she tries to find the best of both worlds and the best of both worlds is to change everybody into stone eaters and right mm-hmm. she ends up because of the love of her mother not doing that. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, okay. So now that we've kind of got the very broad strokes, mm-hmm. I will point out that it's it's interesting that we have now, we, we spent the most time in that three or four minute uh, rundown of the story talking about Syl Anagist and the very end of the story. Mm-hmm. But Essen and Nasun's journeys to get to that point didn't just didn't get me really yeah not i this is part of why i was saying it's not just that life got in the way i had a really hard time uh motivating myself Mm -hmm. to keep reading through this book i i felt a similar thing during obelisk gate um but i think it was it was obelisk gate and then the beginning of this book kind of um compounded that sure and i just i lost a lot of my motivation to keep reading but I knew from what people had said, nobody spoiled the story. I didn't know. I had no idea what was coming other than that it was a big, brash, bold ending. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I got to get there. Yeah. And it delivered, I thought. I, I thought the ending was... I, I, I do have mixed feelings, but um, it's mostly positive with a, a little bit of... Um, not even negative, but just um, not uh, un- unsure yeah. feelings about the ending. Uh, and I think I'll have to sit with it for a little while before I know exactly how I feel about it. But anyway, um, the ending of this book kind of uh, fulfilled on a lot of the promises of the first book, where I, I loved the first book. I thought it was mm-hmm. crazy good. Um, and then the next two kind of dragged until we got to that ending. And I was like, okay, I am super in. Let's do this. Right. Um, it was about the last... I don't know, maybe quarter of this book that uh, that I felt that way. Ryan, what about you? So, uh, knowing that we were going to be talking about this today, I had time to actually go through and do a reread. Uh, <laughs> That's how slow I was. Yeah. 
on it. And I, I definitely appreciated it, and I'm glad I had the chance to go through it a second time. I think that there is a lot in this story um, that I missed on the first go-around in terms of things that merited me pausing and taking some time to think. Yeah. Uh, I very much uh, enjoy this book. I will say that this is one of those books that I definitely cannot give to everybody. Um, I know, you know, usually we kind of finish up with, Can you, who do you recommend this to? Mm. Do you um, want to start with that? Yeah, let's start with that. But it, there are those who I know will not, will not catch what the feel of this story is and what the what it is the author's intent is in saying a lot of these things, or it may bother them. And I'm not, again, I, have to, I think you should read things like that, and stuff. but I know there's some people who would just, they would read some things and go, I'm done with this. Yeah. I'm not yeah. dealing with this, and I'm putting it away. Mm-hmm. And so it is one that I have to be a little more selective of who I, who I would recommend it to, but not because of its quality, simply because it's more of like a content advisory type thing for people. Oh, okay. So uh, kind of a, like a trigger warning kind of thing. Yeah, a little for- bit. For those who would have to deal with uh, like uh, child loss, parental issues, or... Uh, Some of those things, uh, if you have, if you are straight up and honest, if you have issues with discussing racism, uh, that is a very prominent thing. As sure. She's very definitively said some things in previous books, and in this book, she has very strong line, uh, lines written in here that is, I am talking about this, I hope you don't miss it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> she she will not allow you to miss anything uh, through these books. Um, and there there is a question. That, so for those of us who um, are wondering about how we approach that sort of thing as the Legendarium, we did get a good question about that um, that I'm going to save for the wrap-up episode. Okay. So today we'll talk about the Stone Sky um, and then... Um, sometime in the next week or two, we'll do a wrap-up episode where we'll kind of talk about the whole series, and I'll have had a little more time to sit with this final book and, you know, maybe have some other or even different thoughts than what I share today. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, I think that's going to be a really interesting topic for us mm-hmm. to, to get into, um, and especially as we try to navigate it uh, a- as us, right, in the right. way that we try to do things. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting discussion. Um, all right, Sarah, where do you want to go with the stone sky at this point? What do you want to talk about? What, um, I don't know. What's on your mind? I know you've got some notes I and do some have thoughts. notes. Um, well, I guess I'll say, before getting into specific things that I have written down, I, I envy Ryan's reread. Oh, I feel same. Like yes. This, this feels like the kind of book and series that really needs two times through. Um, and that like literally to the point where I was completely confused about certain characters, like core motivations. Yeah. I, there were times when, um, Essen would be talking about doing things because that's what Alabaster would want. And I was like, that's what Alabaster would want. I, I had a totally different read on that guy, right. you know? Um, and I don't know if that was a matter of getting confused between characters just not carefully reading enough i i really don't know but um but yeah for me the ending and and what ryan mentioned about um nasen not uh going through with her you know turn everybody to stone eaters plan that ending didn't really didn't land for me Mm -hmm. because i 
I didn't feel like I had enough time to believe it, like b- believe in the changes that would have taken place between Essen and Nasen in that moment and her feeling her the love for her mother. And like, it just, it, we took so much time to get there and I actually didn't mind it. I was very captivated by the journey to get mm-hmm. to Core Point and what happened in Core Point, especially between uh, Nasen and Shafa while they were there for that like extra time. Um, we took so much time to get there and then the ending just fell not not 100% flat, but didn't fully satisfy me as much as I expected it to. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, speaking of, um, of uh, this, what, what did you say? Something about speed or, or whatever. Um, and you mentioned that the characters, you, you weren't sure about the characters' motivations. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I wondered about that too. How well have these things been communicated uh, to me as a reader? Uh, am I to blame for not paying close enough attention? Do I, like should i need a reread like ryan got um you know at this point yes i do but should i need one Mm -hmm. you know i think this is a legit question um and did either of you read the acknowledgments at the end Um, Uh, she wrote a page or two acknowledgments i think i remember her talking about her mother exactly Yeah. yeah anyway so i was surprised by that i i had no idea about any of that i intentionally did not seek out anything about her you know i just wanted to read her book yeah and you know take it as i as i as i found it uh but what she said was this book in particular i think both of the the second and third books but this book in particular was written during a really tough time for her where she was going through a ton of life changes and her mother was uh, on her deathbed. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the final months or, or years of her life. And so she was spending a lot of time taking care of her mom. It's really heartbreaking stuff. And it definitely casts some of the, the ending especially. But the whole series in a different light. Um, but it did make me wonder. She wrote all of these on deadline. You know, got them in on time. Mm-hmm. And fantasy readers be grateful you know Mm -hmm. somebody was paying attention to her deadlines right um but it did make me wonder there's would this book ryan have been better served with another six months of revisions or you know like in your mind and and of course you've reread it so i don't know you know Mm -hmm. maybe maybe this is an unfair question but um was everything do you think spelled out the way it could have or should have been? Or do you think maybe this volume was rushed, especially compared to the first one? I don't think that it was rushed necessarily. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it needed more time. Uh, I don't view this piece as the, like a beautifully polished gemstone because that's not the feeling that it's trying to elicit. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more raw. It's a lot more, uh, direct and rough yeah uh just like its characters like its world everything about it uh so to try and polish it more give it a little more time yeah. try and do that i don't think would be true to what this piece is mm. i i feel this very much uh fits in there not to say that it's like that there are major flaws or something i there's nothing in this story that i went yeah i can't i can't deal with that i can't deal with that at all yeah um so that to me i think it's it fits within its uh, within the realm of what it was created yeah Okay. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what about you? Yeah, I, I don't think I would say, given what I know, which is the book, I, I also don't know much about Jemison outside of 
these works, based on what I know, I wouldn't say, oh, this needed more time because this may be exactly what she wanted it to be and right. like the fullest realization of what she was aiming to create. And I absolutely agree that tone of like rough and sometimes rushed and sometimes like not quite knowing which way is up or, or what's important and dealing with trauma and survival. It makes sense that there would be some things that are not spelled out completely. And I am confident that if I went back and reread, I would pick up on those things and have like, there would be some dots connected that my brain just skipped over this time around. Yeah. So no, I, I don't think I would go nearly so far as to say like this needed more time. I, I think it was probably exactly what it was supposed to be for mm -hmm. her. Okay. Yeah. Now I, I did not ask this question because I was like, oh man, this is a rough hewn gem yeah. that, you know, whatever. Um, I, I'm open to that, certainly. Uh, but I guess part of the reason I wonder about that is because I had such a hard time with the motivations and, you know, wait, wait. So what is the relationship between the, like, mm -hmm. it, like you said with Alabaster, what is, what is she talking about? I didn't see any of that or whatever. Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> I guess going back to, to book two, um, we, we kind of got into a discussion about whether Shafa was really changed. Mm. And I feel like, I feel like I nailed that one. Like I, <laughs> I got what she was throwing down for Shafa, you know? So I guess maybe it's a little uneven on my part, but anyway, this, this all reminds me of, um, and I know I've told this story a couple of times on the podcast, so I apologize for repetition for longtime listeners, but, uh, my first, uh, experience with the Silmarillion where it, it, the thing is like 300 pages. It's not a long book, you know, as far as word count, but it took me three months to get through. I think I was 17 at the time, maybe. It took me three months to read it. I got to the very end and I went, I have no idea what the heck just happened. And I went immediately yeah. back to page one, reread it and went, oh my word, that is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if it, you, there's, there's a, a little part of my brain that wants to blame an author it, it, to some extent mm -hmm. when I don't get things yeah, right, right away. Right. It's like, come on, you got to explain this to me at least a little better. Um, but no, I, I think it's totally fair to, to say like, maybe I just wasn't picking up certain things. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention. I don't have the life experience necessary for, to pick up what she's throwing down, you know, whatever the yeah. case may be. Right? And I wonder if similar to the Silmarillion based on, my experience reading that book having have, time. having read the silmarillion ladies and gentlemen <laughs> one time as a gift to craig <laughs> <laughs> literally uh, but i i wonder how much of it is not even like a matter of blaming the author versus blaming yourself you know blaming makes it sound like more serious yeah, than yeah. it is but i i wonder if like the silmarillion it's just a matter of like i'm not used to reading this language having this sort of tone in my head and i need time to adjust to it once my brain is sort of calibrated, then I can go back to the beginning and like have my feet under me a little bit. And then I can pick up on things a little, a little more um, consistently. Yeah. Maybe it's the same thing with the stone sky. This is, I mean, you two know better than I do that this is not typical uh, fair in the fantasy sci-fi genre. Right. And so after having read it, maybe it's, it's almost like an inoculation in your brain. Like you, you've <laughs> like your brain understands what that, particular thing is supposed to be and then when you read it again you're prepared for it are you, are you saying we need mental antibodies for jemison because that's offensive i don't think that that's what i'm saying <laughs> no i i think i know what you're saying ryan look you look like you have thoughts 
I do. I've been mulling over something that's on my mind uh, with this. I I feel like this book series, but this book in particular, is not one that you can passively consume. Mm. Uh, mm, if yeah. you do not, if there isn't a connection to a character or a theme or a concept or something there for you uh, that you feel as you go through it, and you will feel it. It's not something that you will piece together um, but you will feel it. If it's not there, I completely understand why this book would be a difficult one to get through. Yeah. Um, because I really, in in a lot of stories, you can, uh, at the base level, you can at least go back to plot and say, I can follow from point A to point B to point C. Right. And the plot is enough to at least get you through. Uh, this one, it's not that it's a bad plot or anything. It's just, it is a felt plot. It is very mm-hmm. much about the character's response. And it's coming from now that you know the whole truth, a potentially mildly unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hoa is relating her own life back to her. Right. Uh, which is why we're getting that perspective. And he's there for all of it, and we can trust his view, but anytime we're talking about what uh, uh, Nasun is thinking, or uh, as soon as thinking or feeling, it's Hoa, his interpretation, it's his interpretation of, of that yeah. moment. Yeah. And he's already admitted that that wasn't a strong point of the Stone Eaters at the beginning. Like, mm-hmm. to be able to read and do those. Like, they can't replicate it themselves. Yeah. Um, and so also that he romanticizes her so yes. much, you know. Yeah. Anyway, proceed. Which, no, that, which is basically the end of the book. Like, the this whole thing has been built to her being turned into a stone eater and then riding off into the sunset, basically. Mm-hmm. She and, and Hoa, which I, I didn't see coming. Yeah, I, me neither. That took me by surprise, frankly. Yeah. Very interesting reproductive cycle <laughs> yeah turn someone into stone consume them and then let them be reborn in a stone eaters yeah that and was then they're weird. your girlfriend <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so, one way to, that's one way to get a girlfriend i guess but there is there is a portion of that um hoa says something in this book specifically about his relationship with her that i have come to really really appreciate and really love um says uh when it comes to love, oh, shoot, I wish I had the quote pulled up for me. But basically he says, I think when it comes to love, when you, or I think when you love someone, you don't get to decide how they love you back. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. That, I had that written down, That was too. mentally highlighted for sure That yeah. was on my part. Such a, it's a beautiful line. And knowing Hoa's long, like what this whole story is turning out to be and everything, that ultimately she could have rejected him at the end as well, and he still would have loved her, like... I don't know if Hoa is what the kids would call a simp these days. <laughs> this is a newly introduced word to my vocabulary, by the way, and it has been coming up constantly. So, And, and who would have thought Ryan would be the next source? <laughs> yes. I'm our, I'm our outreach to the youth these days. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, just look at you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think this actually... Um, uh, this this gets us into another thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, and I know you guys have notes, so please don't let me uh, monopolize this. Um, but can we talk about the prose style? Now that we've had three books of it, we talked about it a little bit in the first book. I don't remember talking much about it in book two. I don't think we did. Um, but now that we've uh, had three books under our belt, um, I... Okay, how do I put this? Like you said, Sarah... She is not normal fare for fantasy readers, mm-hmm. as far as her prose style. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I I would put her there's like a I'm thinking of a continuum. Sure. And on one end, you've got let's say the the Brandon Sandersons of the world, you know, maybe Robert Jordan, where the the language is utterly straightforward. They are they are um uh, <laughs> I hesitate to even use the words painting a picture with their words because that that um calls to mind you know more artistry and poetry and that's that's just not his style his he he calls it the clear glass style Mm. right my words are a window for you to look out on whatever scene and i don't want anything to get in the way on the other end of it i'm i'm going way past so many other authors that we've read and going to authors that we haven't read somebody like uh, cormac mccarthy or uh, chuck palahniuk uh, where just bizarre structural um, choices that are being made. It, it can be difficult to follow, but like you said, Ryan, it's more felt than thought mm-hmm. um, with with that prose style. Um, and so you, anyway, so you've got this continuum with these two styles, uh, prose styles on either end, and you go from Sanderson and people talk about um, Rothfuss being more artistic, uh, and I would put her further on the other side. From Rothfuss, right? yeah. As far as um, the the kind of rule breaking, kind of free form poetry version of prose, I don't know quite how to describe it, but I I found her prose style more poetic than Rothfuss's, and I'm not saying that um, as a compliment or uh derogatorily like that it's i just feel like that's where she's at i don't know what what do you guys what do you think i struggle i i struggle to know how to gauge prose mm, yeah uh, yeah there's a there's a youtube video for you to do how do i ra- how do i rate prose <laughs> sure um so for me to when you say that she's on the other side of rothfuss that's just my gut feeling is now from my experiences of reading rothfuss and her and her style I definitely, it was weird, especially going into first-person narrative. Uh, Threw me for a bigger loop at the beginning. But I feel like of the two of them, I can, hers was a little bit more on the clear clear glass side, I guess. Interesting, okay. Uh, But that's my limited understanding. That's just my my emotional, you know, response. Right, reaction. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Something to think about maybe uh, before the next episode. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What about you, Sarah? I, I know you don't have the same kind yeah, of uh, like, fantasy I'm experience. Like, what's but, Rothfuss? But what is, you, who's, where's that? Name of the Wind. You've read that one, or at least part of it. I th- yeah, With I think you're both right. and uh, the like, university. What? Never. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. How did you like her prose style? Well, it's interesting. I I think I'm kind of on the same page as Ryan a little bit. Like, how do you rate these things? Because you saying that Sanderson is more straightforward than Jemison, I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm reading Jemison, and yeah. it, it's speaking, it's like, it is not a struggle for me to understand Jemison. And it was a struggle for me to understand Sanderson. It's very straightforward to me. So yeah. I, I don't know how much of this is just subjective. Um, oh, I think very. Yeah. I mean, right. It, it has to be. Um, and. I would say, you know, as we've established previously, this is not the sort of stuff that I generally read. Um, I'm not a fantasy reader, by and large. And Jemison is, you know, I prefer a really poetic prose style. And Jemison is less poetic 
in her prose than most writers that I read. Right. So, no, that makes a lot of sense. Like you said, this is totally subjective. Yeah. And I think maybe it's just a matter of... Um, I, I think there is there is probably an objective way to measure uh, right. prose style and, you know, how, what kind of sentence structures they use yeah. and that sort of thing. Like, that's fine. But ultimately, it kind of comes down to whether something is more or less comprehensible to you is going to have more to do with matching styles. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so you live your life more poetically than I do. Boy, do I. <laughs> and I. And I live my life more prosaically than you do. Okay. Um, and so I, I intuitively, instinctively sure. get a Sanderson yeah. sentence quicker than I yeah, do. Yeah, it's a kind Jemison of what we were one. talking about before about the idea of kind of calibrating your brain to be to match with whatever uh, writing style an author has. Your brain is very calibrated for Tolkien. Your brain is very calibrated for Sanderson, um, and you know I'm mostly reading nonfiction. I'm mostly reading memoir. And my brain is more calibrated for something like Genesis. Yeah. yeah. This, that brings up a very interesting thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But I've taken a lot of liking to discussing things, not so much in good, bad, uh, objective, objectively yeah. good and bad things, but more so uh, how it resonates. Yeah. I use a lot of the resonance as a setup because the idea of having to calibrate your mind or figuring out what it is that is best in harmony with the way that you think and feel uh, or is best able to your style of communication and and, uh, consuming material that I think speaks a lot to you as a person when you're reading a book to understand you as a person understanding that so I just I think that concept we just uh, we talked about really plays into this theme Um, if if something is resonating with you or not doesn't necessarily objectively mean that it's a good or bad thing on the other end it's your relationship with the content Mm -hmm. yeah 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 um, I, I'm, I've been kind of just glancing around for an example. Um, and I know there's a bit where Hoa, this is in the coda. So Hoa mm-hmm. is waiting for, um, Essen to wake up, uh, as a stone eater. So I wait, time passes a year, a decade, a week. And those, and like, those are three sentences. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, very very McCarthy-esque, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in its uh, its uh, lack of verbiage, I guess. Mm-hmm. Literally. <laughs> Except the word... Passes. You know, passes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, it's just it's just a different style. And mm-hmm. like you said, Sarah, uh, I, I think that's a, a smart point. My brain is calibrated in a different way. Yeah. And so, uh, to Ryan's point, the reread helps a lot. And I and that was my first thought as I f- was finishing this book was, I got to reread this. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I, I will be rereading this at some point. Um, and now that I kind of have more of a handle, it's <clears throat> in fact, it's a lot like the Silmarillion in that way where I, I, I didn't know what had happened, but I kind of had an inkling of who the characters were, some of the relationships. And, yeah. and now I can... Now I can focus a little bit more on the themes and the plot now that I've mm-hmm. got the characters, you know, or yeah. whatever. So, all right. What else do we want to talk about? Ryan, have, you look like you got something. I do have, I have a question for you because I, I hinted at it in our very first episode when we did the first book. Oh, great. Uh, but didn't, didn't want to say anything. Um, the Earth is an actual character. Yeah. Right. What are your thoughts on this? Uh. To actually have Father Earth be a character who speaks and hates the people that live on him. Yeah. Uh, I have 
thoughts? Sarah, do you have thoughts? Just that I was, I really liked a lot of, I just bumped the microphone. Oh, <laughs> Hopefully no. Hopefully everything's okay. Um, I, I had a lot of feelings. It really resonated for me. Um, <laughs> Very nice. Those passages of kind of hammering home the fact that, no, the earth is a living being. And if, and ignoring that, it like you, you are ignoring that. It's not just that you don't know, but there's evidence that you are looking away from as far as like you, is it okay if I read something? Yeah, yeah, that be absolutely. All right? Because I just thought it was... I guess so it depends well on what you want to read. It's not from the book. It's from Elle magazine. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was just so perfect. It's a BuzzFeed quiz I found. That <laughs> let me know exactly which Jemison character I was. Uh, let's see. Um, magic comes from life. Those who made the obelisks sought to harness magic and they succeeded. Oh, how they succeeded. They used it to build wonders beyond imagining. But then they wanted more magic than just what their own lives or the accumulated eons of life and death on the Earth's surface could provide. And when they saw how much magic grinned just beneath that surface, ripe for the taking, it may never have occurred to them that so much magic, so much life, might be an indicator of awareness. The Earth does not speak in words, after all, and perhaps these builders of the great obelisk network were not used to respecting lives different from their own, not so very different, really, from the people who run the fulcrums or raiders or her father. So where they should have seen a living being, they saw only another thing to exploit. Where they should have asked or left alone, they raped. For some crimes, there is no fitting justice, only reparation. That last sentence didn't quite land as well for me because I was like, well, what? I'm not sure I understand the difference between justice and reparation. But anyway, but just that idea that like, you're okay now now we need to set up sarah at the legendarianpodcast.com yeah. you're gonna get all sorts of emails <laughs> no okay sorry what were but we anyway, the, just the idea that like how could you think that you could take life from the earth and not realize that the earth is alive you know it just it was really moving to me and also as somebody who is uh at least loosely involved in like very new agey earth-based uh religion communities I just was thinking constantly of all the crystals that like people collect. I'm like, <laughs> it's from the earth. Like it's a living thing. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. That, it, that was a really powerful theme to me of, of just like you, you can't, you can't act like there isn't plentiful evidence that the earth is alive. And now it's talking back to you. Yeah. Uh, so for my part, uh, yes to all that. I would just add that for me, it was too little too late in the story mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I thought it was a very interesting avenue to go down and we went down it you know 75 percent into the third book in the trilogy right where you know the things were hinted at uh, you know the the evil earth and the the, the lost child and all that stuff yeah, like the there are little little hints at it um and then they go through uh, the, the way we find out uh, for sure is they're going through the mantle hoa's pulling them or no sorry it's when nasun is going um through the core with uh shafa, uh, shafa, shafa. thank you in the yes. in that like living yeah the uh, vehicle yeah vehicle <laughs> right the vehicle animal right exactly <laughs> the vehicle and so they're going through the core and the closer she gets to the core of the earth the more she becomes aware of the sentience of yes. the earth and so that, that's how we find out about it and i'm sitting there going dope 
this is awesome. You're way too late with this. <laughs> but can I push back against that a I, little bit? I just, I guess, I let me just say, yeah. I, I thought it was really cool. I wish it were explored a lot more. Yeah. Um, and so he's, it, the Earth is a character, maybe uh, like in the same way that, that, uh, that Sauron is a character in the Lord of the Rings, like where you, he's just kind of this presence off in the distance. Mm. But in this case, you get real close and you get, you get a, quick little conversation with him and then you're gone yeah and i'm like no no i needed i needed a lot more than that for father earth so yeah no that makes sense and i can't disagree i would have i would have liked to see that explored more and which might have necessitated exploring it earlier but i i felt kind of implicated in that very um thought because the whole time they're talking uh, they're talking about father earth as a living sentient being just through their um the stone lore you know they're talking right. about father earth and father earth is angry and and lost his child and and this whole time i'm like well yeah because that's their creation story got it you know but i'm just like dismissing it completely um but the evidence is there so like i the the evidence is there they didn't explore it um as a reality super early on but kind of not you, you you as the reader are also one who doesn't understand the evidence until it is like glaringly obvious and right. i kind of liked that aspect yeah okay ryan did we sufficiently answer your question i think so okay <laughs> i i do think that jemison's turn on making the earth an actual living character is a stroke of genius in the way that she executes on this i know you feel it's a little late uh, but she plays on the expectations on the expectation of the reader to do what we do with the idea of Mother Earth, Father Earth, those things. Mm -hmm. They're concepts. They're not characters. They're yeah. just a thing that floats out there. And so she says, play with that for two books, and then I'm going to reveal to you that, no, they're actually a character. Right. And when you go back and look at these things, and when you do your reread and go through, you're going to realize every time I'm talking about this that it is a character here. And what that means that, yeah, Father Earth is pissed that the moon is gone. Legitimately and literally, he is angry because the moon is gone. Most of us are probably like, oh, yeah, that messes with the tides and everything. So, yeah, Father Earth is angry, but no. <laughs> like the same way that we do with, you know, st stories of like myths from whatever long lost culture. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, they came up with a story to explain why the volcano erupted or why there were seasons. Like, Demeter is wandering the earth and she misses Persephone <laughs> so much um, which also like definitely saw a reference to that in in the stone sky but anyways like well now people are going to want to know well I'll share in a minute but yeah just we, we go oh yeah these simple people with their simple stories to explain the world whatever like it, no it kind of it touches on a theme that I felt really coming up in this book in particular in the trilogy because we got such a look at Silanagist and the the science that or the the scientific ways that people were harnessing magic um so which brings up somebody's question i can't remember if we'll get to it today or, or next time but it was is this book sci-fi or fantasy mm -hmm. or is this trilogy sci-fi or fantasy yeah um anyway but um Oh, where was I even going? Uh, oh, yeah. The th one of the themes that cropped up in this book because of that versus the Father Earth is real and these uh, kind of, you know, these what we look at as rustic tr 
tribal people who, yeah. you know, because of the seasons, they can't progress, they can't uh, advance the way that uh, civilization had before, whatever. But anyway, it kind of felt like one of the themes was civilization and science are a net negative mm. and take us away from our uh, from nature from our nature mm -hmm. from uh the the insights that we used to have it's very um um rousseauian you know the the kind of noble savage mm -hmm. type of uh thinking anyway do you guys did you get any of that did you do, am i on solid ground or am i completely nuts i think you're not wrong but not entirely right either in that sense I think that the message isn't that science and civilization take us away from our nature here. It's that science and civilization built in the way that it is, the way that it was built in this story is a negative. Um, to do what you have done through science, through exploitation, through these things, that is what the problem is. It's not that, the, not that we are able to exist as a society. Right. Those things. It's that you've done it through the exploitation of an entire race that you've subjugated into these nodes. Right. And things like that, yeah. So I think that's more of what the conversation is versus, no, we should always just live with the land and <laughs> and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Sarah, any thoughts? Um, the way I, I think I think Ryan had a, a really good answer. Basically, I think your, uh, your suspicion there about science and civilization and what the book is saying, I think there's evidence for that, but it's not the message that i came away with mm. um and there was just a ver a really brief quote from the book that kind of felt related um it is the way of the world but it, it but it isn't the things that happen to origins don't just happen they've been made to happen by the guardians after years and years of work on their part and i feel like there's a lot of references um in this book and probably throughout the series if i went back and looked for them of saying just because it is this way doesn't mean it had to be this way. It was not destined. It, it is not like guaranteed that this is how science has to evolve or this is how civilizations have to be built. There were choices made and there were choices reinforced. And so I don't come away from the book feeling like anything other than like oppression is, uh, you know, villainized. It's like you can do lots of different things, but... They, they can they can come about in ways that are fair and thoughtful and uh, just or not. Um, so, yeah, the science and civilization thing. I didn't come away with an anti-science viewpoint myself. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know if I would even go so far as to call, yeah, no, maybe anti-science. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, again, I haven't I'd thought have to, about it. It didn't I need stand to, out to me. So I need I to read know. it again. I need to think about it more. Yeah. I just finished the book. You know, sure. so, anyway. I do think that along these lines, though, she states a thesis early on in the book. It's a line that really stood out to me. And I know it stood out to a lot of people because I've seen it quoted in a whole bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but right towards the very beginning, she says, some worlds are built on a fault line of yeah. pain, oh. held up by nightmares. Don't lament when those worlds fall. Rage that they were built doomed in the first place. I think that's more so what she's aiming to talk about is that these concepts of if it's built in a bad way, built to fail from the very beginning, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Okay. So let's, I, I know we need to get to some uh, Discord comments. I don't know 
we're using a new system, so I don't know how long we've actually been recording. I think it's about 45 minutes or so. So uh, we've how got how long this episode ends up being is how long it ends up being. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I feel that way. Um, so we've got some stuff to get through. Do you guys want to dip into your notes, or should I go to? I think just discord i think just do the discord let's just see where it goes from there what do you think that's fine okay. there's a couple character things i think we could discuss um well let's shop and awesome things like that but they'll probably i'm guessing some of them might come up in the discord. well we'll see we'll see um okay so uh Jafu asked still just was weird <laughs> I'm, I'm quoting here uh, bold move to throw us into a totally new world uh in the third book especially one so strange uh, like it or have a hard time with it now, think about that because the uh, uh, Toromir um, asked a companion question. How did you feel about hearing about things we already know about from a completely different angle using new terminology and having to piece together information based on clues? Is it good storytelling or unnecessarily convoluted? Also, did the Sil Anagis chapters have tension for you or did it just feel inevitable? After all, you knew where it would end all along. So me and Jafu are sort of asking the same thing. I just have other words. So, <laughs> so yeah, how did we feel about um, maybe the way this book was structured and the way some of the information was brought to us with these flashbacks to Silanagist? How did you guys like it? Um, I had a hard time with Silanagist. I was definitely intrigued by a lot of it, um, but it, it did throw me for a loop a little bit, and I hate to be, like, I feel like people are going to roll their eyes at this part, but... So you had the Stone Eaters before they became the Stone Eaters. Were they called Tuners, mm -hmm. I think? Yes. Sounds right. All their names ended in the same syllable, and I could not keep their names straight at all. <laughs> Gehwan, Hoa. I, right, I knew, I knew Hoa, but like everybody else, I didn't even try that much. It actually reminded me when I was working at a catering company in high school, and a set of triplets started working there, and they were identical <laughs> triplets, and all their names started with a K, and I... I'm not going to lie. I worked with them for a year and a half and I never even tried to figure out who was who. <sighs> Terrible. <sighs> so anyway, traumatic stress flashback to my own <laughs> failing as a teenage colleague. But like there were hard things for me about Sil Anagist. I wanted to sink my teeth into it more. I felt like there was so much there, but there were some real obstacles. For yeah. Me. Ryan? Sil Anagist is a much, much better experience on a reread. I will tell you that right now. Oh, I yeah. have no doubt. Because I, I wanted to spend more of the book in Silana just on this last read through uh, to get because I no longer needed the clarity of what am I reading. Like I kind of get where I'm, what this mm -hmm. is going. I'm kind of piecing together what's happening. I didn't have to figure that. Out. I knew where it was going, what was happening, so I could I could get a little more into the grit and details on the second time through. Yeah. Um, the first time though, I had a very similar experience where it was. I'm trying to connect dots. I'm spending the time trying to connect the dots of mm -hmm. what I'm reading to what I know. Yeah. Um, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't overly surprised by it because I actually kind of figured at some point in time we have to address how the world got like this. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get it, and we're going to have that Planet of the Apes moment at the Statue <laughs> of Liberty. <laughs> My God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to have that moment. I wasn't sure how big it was going to be. So to have it be an entire series of chapters actually to me i felt like paid the dues necessary to make it work versus just having like as soon show up at core point watch a hologram that popped up and of the of one of the scientists yeah, being yeah. like oh no the machine's gone bad oh no <laughs> it's changing my body and now i'm hoa like, <laughs> you know the funny thing about that is you said that like uh the mr scientist guy from the simpsons oh 
And oh, I, yeah. I was also thinking of The Simpsons with the, the Planet of the Apes reference. <laughs> it was Earth all along. <laughs> okay. So anyway. Um, I, <laughs> Did I throw you off enough or do you want to keep yes, going? Yes, just a little bit. Okay. No, Silanagist, um, there's a really fun experiment to do when reading through Silanagist uh, to play the game of what's changed and what hasn't um, in terms of the society expectations and what you've been reading through up to this point. Right, right. How far has society slipped? Where were they at mm-hmm. at this point to then take us back to where we are at the start of Broken Earth? Yeah. Like, it's... It really is quite interesting to see how far humanity went before they fell apart and how the stone eaters came to be and what it means to be a stone eater and uh, to be a tuner, I guess. Now, mm. uh, when they finally make the connection of those who can, uh, who can control, who, those who are, who are origins and can control magic are tuners, which means that there are those who are not right. both. Right. So, so where, where, I had a thought about this. Um, the whole, the Sil Anagist thing, oh yeah, you were talking about, it was interesting to see the, the similarities and differences in the, in the two societies we're looking at. Um, I think part of what she's getting at with uh, drawing both of those societies for us to look at is like, look at how this, okay, so there was, I can't remember the name of the race that, that Nia's, 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 yeah. um, that were, that were hated by this people and they were annihilated or very nearly so and then when they created their uh kind of automatons their ais basically is what i gather that they they are um they made them in the image of this people that they hated right so that they could oppress them all over again and and am i am i right so far that's that's a little different than how i understood it it was more like the neas had been uh the the ruling class whoever had attributed certain qualities and dangers to them that they didn't really have any more than anybody else. And so in order to keep up that ruse, when they created the beings that actually did have those powers, they had to make them look like, like the Nias. Yeah, okay. Anyway, anyway. I mean, it, it is a little like, I'm not even sure that that's right. Please proceed. <laughs> okay, so what, regardless, uh, my point is that um, because they set up this uh, very systemic, oppressive system, a, a systemic system, if you will. Sure. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm very smart, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Department of Redundancy Department. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, because they'd set up this system, uh, it carried through the the shattering and all these seasons, and that was the basis on which this uh, the society that Nasin and Essen live in. It, you know, it, it forms the basis of their society. This uh, this stratification of the culture and and who the the uh, origins are and what they represent to the the stills and the ruling ruling class and and all that stuff. Um, and it makes it a very man. We're getting back into how pessimistic is she? You know, because uh, what what's the idea at the end of the book? It, it, so Nasun saves the world, puts the moon back in orbit, kind of, you know, it'll take a while, but things yeah. will get back to normal. Yeah. Um, and, and then what? Like the implication in my mind is there is no escape from this. Yeah. There is no, like, and 
maybe this is something that she and I would agree on. I, I'm not sure. Uh, somebody asked me about a question that I would ask N.K. Jemison if I ever had a chance to talk to her. Is uh, you know, what are your thoughts about human nature and mm. its immutability? Mm. Because I I very much believe there's no there is no reset button on human nature. You can nuke it and leave us with an Adam and Eve, and they'll you know repopulate the earth and people will be people you know and they will build the same kind of systems and whatnot it's it's in in my mind it's the gradual incremental changes that have gotten us as humanity to where we are today it's not by trying to find some magic utopian reset button gotcha. right and hey. so i wonder i wonder if she and i would agree on that point yeah i don't know yeah, yeah. um that makes me think of something I and I hope I can I can explain the connection that I'm seeing. Basically, it happened in in the obelisk gate and it happened here again in the stone sky where basically you learn that even our good guys, so-called alabaster, essen whatever, they are using node maintainers to do their work. Right. And in the first book then basically the node maintainer scene is where I guess at the time, what's her name? Cyanite has her moment of like, wow, this world is broken. You know, not to no pun intended there. Like this earth is broken uh -huh. um, and this cannot stand. And I, I, I can't rest and just like decide that this is okay. That's, that's because of the scene with the node maintainer. And yet that horror is not something that they can get away from. That's Alabaster uses node maintainers to create the obelisk gate in the first place, I think. Or he, he mimics one, I think. Uh, he. I think he uses many node maintainers. He takes a three by three matrix of, 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 node, of, of node, maintainers. node maintainers to create a something similar to what the Onyx is, a control right. to yeah. access the obelisk gate. Okay. And right. then in... Um, here in the Stone Sky, when everybody who was in the Geode City, Kashrima, gets to Renanus and they're like trying to set up their, you know, trying to figure out how to live there. Um, there's a part here where it says, and it's talking about Essen. The truth you've understood since you woke up with a stone arm, because by the way, the whole time Essen is turning into, she, her body's turning to stone just like Alabaster's. I don't know if we've mentioned that. The truth you've understood since you woke up with a stone arm. To survive in Renanus, Kastrima will need the node maintainers. It will need to take care of them, and when those node maintainers die, Kastrima will need to find mm. some way to replace them. No one's talking about that last part yet. First things first. And it makes me think about the, this idea that, you're that you mentioned, Craig, human nature. This is the way that civilization developed in this place, whatever. And even as they're trying to change it, they're, they're replicating it. They're reinforcing it. Is that a human nature thing? It reminds me of um, this really well-known saying from Audre Lorde. She said, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. The idea being, if you want to change the world, you can't use the same tools that you've used before. that, Or you can't use the same tools that were used to create the world right. as it is. Right. But they don't have, at least as far as, as far as we are told in the story, they don't have another tool they don't have any other tools than the master's tools so-called they don't have tools other than the node maintainers right and so does that mean that as you said like this world is just gonna continue to be bad you know maybe not as unstable the fifth seasons will go away but is it just gonna be 
the same story on a different day. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, boy. This is probably a topic we can get into more on the next episode. I I feel like we'll. There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot there. Yeah. Um. But I do have one more from Chesky, uh, who asks, "How did you feel about the development of Shafa, Ryan? I know you wanted yeah. to to bring up Shafa and Nasan, and uh, so I'm I'm throwing this one straight to you. So I have. Oh, other than the fact that uh, I called it, I called it, I called it. He was a good guy. Well, you know, ish, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say big, big ish on that. Um, the, the relationship between Shafa and insert character name here uh, is troubling. Nasset? Uh, oh, Any of them. them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I no, I, I am totally with you on that. I'm, I'm being flippant. Just that. Shafa was not the same Shafa from book one. Yes. In books two and three. Yes. Yeah. So. He wasn't the same, but I think he was just, he was a different bad guy. But proceed, Ryan. Well, yeah, it's, it makes a difference when the, the silver that is connecting him, his connection to the earth is messed with. Yeah. Because we get to see him broken away from the, being the bot on the end of a string um, for a while until the end when he actually becomes like, super bot on a string <laughs> <laughs> right which oh man i'm sorry but real quick was that a scene that didn't deliver enough in my mind it was i agree she uh she's been nursing comatose shafa then she goes to you know destroy the earth and then shafa shows up off of his deathbed and has a crazy look in his eyes and it and says hello little enemy mm-hmm. just like the earth you know so it's clearly father earth has taken control yeah um and i was like awesome this is so interesting and like what a, and then nothing yeah i was nothing so I, that, by that that was so much in this book i was um you know either loved wholeheartedly or maybe it was a little bit iffy on and that one moment i was just like nope screw that that was that big misstep for me trying to remember exactly how that played out because didn't shafa uh shafa it doesn't he fight i can't remember if he fights off earth's influence for a few for a moment or something like that i can't remember exactly if he does i don't remember that or it's not stated i think that's maybe that's part of the point you're talking about is (laughs) that we don't have a very clear idea as to what happened Maybe people are very upset, going, "How do you not know?" Was, yeah, exactly. You yeah. To- did you did you <laughs> lose some pages in your book? Yeah, I'm not sure what happened either there, but I remember feeling like I thought we were going to get something there. Maybe a confrontation, and a conversation, a oh, something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, go. Well, I I know I've totally derailed you. I apologize. Yeah, sorry, I do Ryan. this every no, so often. Fine. But sorry. no, but it's uh. The, I, the biggest thing with the whole exploring Shafa, you can read this book through so many different lenses on every different reading, and that's why I think this book series is going to last, and, you know, and we can talk more about this when we do full series recap, but abusive relationships mm. in their different styles is the Shafa narrative, and even when he's a good guy, he's still... It's, it's built what? on a very bad relationship. I, I'm, I'm curious about this um, because I didn't pick up on what you guys seem to have picked up on like you were talking i think sarah in the last book about how you were just on edge yeah not the edge of your seat you were on edge about his relationship with nasun and how he he seemed predatory like he had uh, sexual attraction um you know whatever and by the end of this book i was like no i'm 
I, I feel confident in saying I never got any of that. Um, it did. It felt paternal to yeah. me the whole the whole way through. Um, so what what did I miss about his relationship with Nasun? Because I I felt very much like he was uh, the the way that it, it's explained. I think um, Hoa is explaining it to uh, Essun later, where Shafa the only the only way that he could maintain his sanity and uh, it, throughout the what forty thousand years that he's been alive or whatever thirty thousand years he's been alive is to love the the people that he's in charge of right, right. so to love his charges um and the sense that i got throughout the second and third book was that he was kind of freed from the negative influence of well you know the whatever the the stones in his head the, the core stones mm-hmm. um and was free to just mm-hmm. love nasun without being um, also her uh, abuser the way that he was with Essen and so many others, mm-hmm. right? So I, I didn't get the abusive part between him and Nasun, but I'm I'm totally open to the idea that I just missed something. So, yeah. yeah. Anybody want to take that one on? <laughs> um, I feel like it... Uh, I didn't feel like he was freed from the, uh, the negative aspects mm-hmm. of being... I, I felt like it was always like just cl- it, it was an in- an instinct in him that was just clawing to get out and Nasun was constantly trying to protect herself from the way that he would hurt her um and the other thing that i wanted to say i meant to say it last time around in our last episode but i just forgot or whatever or ran out of time mm. to me the similarities between Shafa and Humbert Humbert in oh, Lolita sure. are immense there's one quote which to be to be fair I've never read it yeah. so I wouldn't pick up on no, that. No, absolutely. And and I and I I don't know that that's all I can say is that like that's what I brought to the table. I brought that that novel in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. There's one part where he says, "You're my redemption, Nasun." Wait. I'm wondering now. Like I I might not have made <laughs> my notes quite, but I think this was Shafa. <laughs> You're my redemption, Nasun. You are all the children I should have loved and protected, even for myself. And if it will bring you peace, then I shall be your guardian till the world burns, my little one. And it's the and you you could say you could read that and be like that is paternal, and that is sincere and loving, and there's no ambiguity in that. But for me, I'm like no, that is <laughs> that is like what a predatory. Um, kidnapping Humbert Humbert says about 12 <laughs> year old Lolita yeah thinking like you are everything to me I you have bewitched me like you I my whole life is you and I have absorbed you into my the core of my like it's yeah it just it all I can say it might reflect more on my suspicion of people like that than anything else but I I felt it constantly yeah it's yeah I I did not pick up on any um like romantic undertones to mm-hmm. like i remember that line quite clearly and, and um and i didn't think of, of anything like that so yeah it could just be a difference in yeah. how you and i approach things and i guess i i also what what else is important from the context is just how very vulnerable nasin is and, and how much she places her entire trust and all of her love in him right. and feeling like there is there is such like an overwhelming 
almost inevitability that he is going to take advantage of that at some point. Like that was just constantly, yeah, that interplay was big to me. Yeah. And I am not saying that, that he is, uh, you know, after the, the near drowning experience that he is without fault and is Mm -hmm. a perfect angelic character, but, but he did feel like a paternal good guy character to me at that point on. Um, I, I do think that he is open to criticism for putting that much emotional weight on his 11 year old charge Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. that's that's not that's a heavy thing to tell an 11 year old you are my redemption yes you know i'm putting everything on you like that's okay that's not that's not a kind thing to do to a kid you know so but i i guess no my point has been made ryan you you look like you're dying to say something about humbert humbert Um, oh yes definitely uh (laughs) All my deep real, studies into Humber. Real Humber. Nabokov head over here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I don't think the the two that you the two things you guys have both been, been discussing are mutually exclusive. Uh, he can be a very paternal character and still be. Uh, it came from a predatory, abusive place yeah. to start with, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's for me that's the biggest problem with this relationship and dealing with those feelings in there. It may not necessarily be explicitly that he was uh, that he was a sexual predator or anything like that, but it is her complete devotion to him that she develops a kind of Stockholm syndrome esque. Yeah. Of what's going on with this, that you go, okay, if he wants to, he's put her in a place where he could do that. Yes. And we see the, the you know we're putting we're uh, dread in our own minds of what the worst could be mm-hmm. for him to then turn around and be the paternal uh, a more paternal character whose love for her is different uh i still don't know that i can say in good conscience in my heart shafa is a good guy (laughs) sure i can say shafa did good things yeah in the end there uh but the way that he went about everything is very much abusive it's a very uh, toxic relationship that they have at the beginning, and she's so far mired into it by the time he changes that I don't know that I trust her connection to him to be healthy either. Oh no, no. Oh no, no. she's she's. No, no. I th- uh, there's actually a passage that I did not particularly care for. Um, gosh, it's it's like it's in the coda. I know I pointed this out to Sarah, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's going to take me too long to find it. Um, but it's, um, she does this thing, Jemison does this thing where she, um, puts an entire paragraph in, uh, parentheses okay. a- as an aside. And I, 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 I find her prose style, even though like we've been talking about this earlier and maybe it didn't hit me the same way, but I think she's brilliant. Um, I think just as a, as a line writer, she is awesome. But one of the things that she has a tendency to do tendency of doing whatever is to do the give you these little asides as a a way to make sure that she drills into you exactly what she wants you to know about this character and their state of mind and so um so uh oh you know what i actually know exactly where it is it's at the beginning of the the second to last chapter when they're all showing up um it's uh chapter 13 nasan and essen on the dark side of the world um She's made her decision. She's going up to, to crash the moon into the earth. Um, she, so a, after a few days, she's dragged the moon into a, uh, a collision course. It'll take a few days for the earth to be smashed apart. 
Um, so that's the, the scene setting. And then we get a whole paragraph in parentheses that says, she is such a good child at her core. Don't be angry with her. She can only make choices within the limited set of her experiences. And it isn't her fault that so many of those experiences have been terrible. Marvel instead at how easily, how easily she loves, how thoroughly. Love enough to change the world. She learned, to, she learned how to love like this from somewhere. And, you know, I, I didn't like that just because it's like, yeah, I know you've been telling me that for two books. Like, I, I got it um, <laughs> before we ever got here. And so yeah, I, I didn't, didn't like the um, telling instead of, or the telling after showing. <laughs> right, maybe. not trusting you to exactly. get it. I, yeah, there are so many things in this book that I wasn't getting, but it's like, no, I got that one. <laughs> didn't need to I didn't need this, one. yeah. yeah. Uh, but she does that pretty frequently throughout the book. Interesting. I, did, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of it the way you just approached that. Uh, in my mind, I've taken that like, this is Hoa speaking to Stone Eater Essun right. yeah. in this moment and seeing a reaction from her because you've just been talking about, you know, your daughter and giving, feeding her back her mm-hmm. old life a little bit. And and then tell you, so I get as a, as a reader on those things, but to me, it makes a very, it's, it's a very uh, loving gesture from Hoa to say, it's your daughter, but I know you're upset by this. Hold on. Right. Yeah. Realize. Realize the good that you did in this scenario in teaching her to love or that she learned to love, like this capacity that she had came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, is it redundant to the reader? Yes, but in a narrative view, I didn't have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, in that case, it probably just comes down to uh, what we were talking about earlier where she puts a ton of her herself, her own views, her own feelings into the books Oh, yeah, um, death of the author isn't a thing that she's going to allow to happen to her. No, 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 <laughs> no. Yeah, these books are inseparable from her and who she is, right? As far as I can tell, uh, just because so much of that stuff is at the forefront. Um, and so because of that, um, I, I'm not ready to say that that makes it a lesser work at, at all. Um, it's different than what I generally prefer. Um, but because of that, I couldn't stop hearing her. Mm-hmm. through all three books right mm-hmm. i i can't um I, I can't completely give up and just sink into the narrative explanations that you're talking about which i, I think that's totally legit so mm-hmm. during that parenthetical paragraph you you felt like that was jemison talking to you as opposed to hoa talking to essen right i mean both i just can't i can't lose the one mm, I see. if that if that makes any sense so i got you um okay gosh uh we've got a few more comments to go through but they're all for the full series discussion um and so i'll kick it to you guys for any final thoughts that we want to go through uh for the stone sky specifically i i'm sure there are things that people will wish that we had talked about and there'll Mm -hmm. be another episode so if if, uh if we really let you down you can hit me up on twitter go to discord whatever uh, yeah, Sarah, you got I something? have two things to share that are both really small. I mentioned earlier Demeter and Persephone. Oh, yeah. There was just this one part where I was like, Demeter, Persephone story. It was very... It was, <laughs> you might have to explain uh, who they are Okay, well, for those who don't know. So Greek myth, uh, Demeter is the goddess of the harvest. She's one of the Olympians. Her daughter is Persephone. And Hades, god of the underworld. Uh, as the story goes, Hades kidnaps Persephone, takes her to the underworld... To become his queen basically um and but demeter doesn't know where her daughter is um and when she does find out she can't get her back demeter wanders the earth that and the earth is barren because she's mourning the loss of her child and so the story is like 
oh, that's why in the winter, like things don't grow. Demeter's so sad because Persephone's gone. Persephone has to spend a, a part of every year in the underworld because that's the deal struck with Hades. But anyway. Great musical, Hades Town. Hades Town? Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Okay. All right. And so there's this one part here. Um, I don't remember the context. It's on page 139. In the end, they make it, which is good, because otherwise this would become the t- become the straightforward tale of you learning that your daughter is dead and letting the world wither in your grief. Anyway, it just okay. really stood yeah. out to me. Then the other thing I wanted to say, page 154, here is my literal note. There are bras in this world. <laughs> she talks about basically you know you know ryan i didn't pick up on that or didn't uh didn't really care that much not something that uh, stood out to me in my read either <laughs> it's just funny to me like it you know i it it literally like took me out of the story it's funny the things you assume i had assumed in this crazy hellscape of a world they wouldn't be wearing bras anymore they don't wear them in space that, <laughs> but that wasn't the case uh she basically said uh, so Ho, her her left breast, I think, turns to stone. Hoa eats it, and then which and she says three bites. Uh, it takes him to eat the breast that Nasan liked best. You're perversely proud to feed someone else with it. And then a little while later, she's getting dressed again, and she like stuffs that side of her bra. Mm. And I was like, Why are you wearing a bra? <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> That's all. I just had to remark on that point. You know. I know there's lots of different feelings in the world about bras. Maybe other people could weigh in on why this is so important. But I, to me, it felt like when you see Wonder Woman running around in high-heeled boots. All right. Like, why are you running in high-heeled boots? It's just not practical. <laughs> so, okay. All right. That's all. Uh, <laughs> and, th- and that has been Sarah's Corner. <laughs> <laughs> so I will uh, I'll bring up my tiny little thing. I saved this for the end because it's so... It's so little. Uh, every author has ticks and quirks, right? We talk about this all the time when we talk about different series. So Robert Jordan's characters are constantly folding their arms under their breasts and, you know, whatever. Uh, Sanderson's characters raise eyebrows constantly. Like, they're never okay. not raising an eyebrow, uh, especially in the early books, if I recall the tick correctly. But anyway, in this one, it's the word quiescent. Oh, Really? Oh my gosh. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to go into my Kindle editions and just search the word quiescent <laughs> and find out how many dozens of times she uses it or its variations throughout these books. Totally missed that. Constantly. Hmm. And it, the the little editor part of my brain, you know, it, it takes a little bit to activate it again. Uh-huh. But when it's activated, like it, things start to just like <laughs> claw into my brain. I'm like, if I read the word quiescent one more, there it is again. No, it's constant. I don't know. Um, so there you go. I don't know. I, I guess I'm putting it out there to see if anybody else noticed that tick. She had a few words that were uh, that were definitely, um, you know, favorites. But that uh-huh. one in particular was egregious interesting so ryan we got any final thoughts um just a quick parting shot to all of our secondary and tertiary characters in this series that honestly we've never really discussed much mm. because yeah because why would you when you're when they're standing next to essen and nasen the the narrative doesn't really give you a, a lot to there but they're the relationships that essen uh has especially essen has with 
with like Ika. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yika especially is, I think, one of the better ones. To, it's a more unique and interesting relationship. Tonki, mm. um, going back to book one, uh, book one, Pirate Lord, Eerie. Yeah, um, yeah. There's, there's and, a, lot and a, of, one. a lot of fun characters that you could, you could do an entire discussion of just about her relationship and her growth arc from Alabaster and being sent to breed with him through all the relationships she goes through to the point where she's at the very end putting her in a position where she's finally able to actually learn about being part of a bigger group because she's all about survival for the longest time. And Yika brings it up to her like, when are you going to start calling us, you know, you know, we, our com, your com, you know, be a part of Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And each person gives her something so that when it gets to the point where she's there fighting against Nasun for control over the obelisk gate, she's finally able to go, no, I have to be, I have to let her win and be a part of something bigger here and trust this. Yeah. And, that whole arc is all made up of those secondary characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can view it from from Esun's side, but just a quick shout out to all those all those people who we've just breezed over. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nicely done. No, I I appreciate that. That's that's good to remember. Because um, I didn't form a relationship with any of them. I could mm-hmm. barely tell the difference between you know Yika and Lerna. <laughs> you know, like okay, mm-hmm. no, that's not quite true. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it was it was tough for me to keep track. What about you, Sarah? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and I, and I, I w- was bummed by that because I I could tell there was something there, but it just I didn't have the brain space to keep track of it um, as I was trying to understand the magic and understand, you know, where this was all headed and everything. Yeah, so. there's a, a moment at the very end when she's on her way to Core Point. Ho is going to take her, and he says, "Hey, I can take anybody you want." Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just you. And she, she's like, "Oh, geez." And then everybody shows up to go with her, and it's this heartwarming moment. Um, and I got the emotion behind yeah. it. I got what she was trying to convey, but more intellectually, right? Because I didn't feel like it was as emotionally earned as I might have liked for it to be mm-hmm. with those side characters. Um, yeah. But that's that's where I kind of ended up with them. Yeah, it's a that specific section actually has a really good growth point and interesting payoff uh, when they get to the other side and Lerna has been taken mm-hmm. by one of the stone eaters that was attacking them in the, the core mm-hmm. of the earth. Yeah, oh yeah. And she comes out and goes, "Oh yeah, the man who is the husband of my unborn child, uh, you know my my new husband, I guess." Right. And and he's gone and. Okay, still got to go do what I got to go do. It's like, yeah. But mm-hmm. well, this woman loses husbands the way she loses limbs at a certain point. That's true. Man. I do, really, really quick. <laughs> I very much appreciate <laughs> the death clock timer, whatever you want to call it, on our hero using her magic. Oh, yeah. Every, that, it's like the taint of Sidene or anything like that. <laughs> right. Every time she uses it, the another part goes stone and she be, she ends up gone yeah right you know, we saw it happen with alabaster we knew it was likely to happen with her but in this book especially every time they go through something she's like can't do anything otherwise i'll just turn to stone right here right mm-hmm. so it's no more no more superman to come in and take care of uh not dark side whatever his name is yeah i don't, I don't care dark side uh, is correct but no it's his steppenwolf steppenwolf yeah that's the one i was thinking of um yeah sarah this is uh, important we need to remember batman versus superman or whatever it's justice, justice league. league yeah see i even yeah, remember the name really of the important um uh, okay so as we as we wrap up um i will say i know that um 
after our obelisk gate episode a lot of people were upset they thought i was being too flippant about you know like with my um did it my, deserve the hugo thing no well yeah there was that or like i was being too flippant with my um nothing with, happened with my synopsis mm-hmm. yeah. yeah uh apparently these people don't realize that flippant is my default mode <laughs> and i just want to say i freaking love these books i have my complaints and it did it i did have a rough time with some motivation in the second and the beginning of the third book um but i thought they were very very good um, so I, I wanted to end with that, you know, before we get into the discussion next time about the full series, yeah. um, that I thought it was extremely well done. Um, and I, I'll just say, like, now that I, okay, I've got all three books under my belt, I at least have something of an idea of what they're about. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say that uh, the second and third book are very, very good. The first book is absolute genius. Um, that's... One of the reasons I was asking about, you know, maybe did the second and third books need more time? Mm. And because I'm guessing she spent more time with the first book, especially with the way that she structured it and the different different points of view and all yeah. that. Like, um, it, it was just immaculate, I thought. Mm. And these second two books didn't reach that for me. Gotcha. But I, I still think they were really good. So what about you guys? Um, uh, the series as a whole, do you like it? Are you going to recommend it? Ryan, you kind of got at this earlier. Yeah, I still hold to my recommendation that there are those who will not appreciate this series and those who will really love it. And uh, long term, we will talk again in full series thing. I think that this is going to be a banner book that some people will, some people will fly this book as a banner to, to follow. Oh, they already do. Yeah. So. We, yeah, we saw this uh, after my flippancy in, in our second episode. But, right. Um, yeah, Sarah? Um, I intend to reread. Maybe I'll be able to do it before our next uh, our next talk. I'm not sure with the timing. As far as recommend it, I, I don't know. I don't know how often people in my life would be open to a recommendation to read a trilogy. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's an investment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but certainly, if somebody was like, you know, I'm thinking of reading these books, I'd be like, I, w- I really, really enjoyed them. Yeah. You know, so it comes down to an audience. Like, who who is the person in front of you? Can you recommend it to them in good faith? Um, I can't think of many people that, I, that I'm talking about books with who would be eager to read something like this. Right. But, um, you know, obviously, huge readership overall. I just don't happen to know those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I would, uh, Ryan, you're talking about um, somebody being ideologically disposed toward a book like this. Um, I would push back and say, uh, if you're if you're not ideologically disposed toward a book like this, then you absolutely should read this book. Um, if only just to give you something to think about. I know it gave mm-hmm. me a lot to think about. Um, I think I would be less likely to recommend it to somebody who I thought was stylistically opposed Mm. Um, and couldn't make it through her style. Um, so I, that, that's kind of where I land on that, if you're, if you're okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> I grunt my approval. Thank you. Yes, that's that's right. idea. Fine. If that's what you want to do, it's okay with Ryan. <laughs> all right. Well, let's call it there. I have no idea how long it's gone, but I think it's been a long time. Yeah, I think you're um, right. Sarah, I know you got, you got uh, not mad, but frustrated that we didn't give enough time to one of these episodes did you feel satisfied today oh yeah no i felt okay. fine with all of them it's just frustrating <laughs> you know when you when when you get to the end of a conversation then you're like 
dang it, there were like 14 things that I thought were really important and I didn't bring up any of them. <laughs> That's a personal failing more than anything. Uh, no. So thank you everybody for sticking with us. If you've stuck with us for this long, um, then now I'll do our housekeeping. Please um, go to uh, Discord. Go to thelegendarium.com. That's what I should just tell people now. Go to thelegendarium.com. Uh, you can find links to Patreon. Thank you so much. We've had a surge of uh, patrons come up, and I really, really appreciate that. That's fantastic. Um, so you can find Patreon there. There's also, if you go to the support button, somebody was asking about this today on Discord, um, there is a one-time donation button for PayPal. So you can do that. If you prefer not to set up a recurring $1 tip jar donation, then you can do a one-time thing, and that's just as appreciated. Uh, so those are there. The link to the Discord is there. We are, uh, we're at like 900 members. So we're pushing 1,000 members in the Discord. And it has remained a wonderful, delightful, friendly, uh, spoiler-free, all the all the nice things place. <laughs> uh, so I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Please go there. There are, uh, there are 900 people there. Many of them are lurkers. But there are dozens of possibly a hundred or more people who are ready to chat with you and welcome you with open arms and so i, I hope i see lots of you there um all right shall we yeah uh we will do another one of these it'll be a full episode wrap up um we'll talk through the whole the whole trilogy and our thoughts on it how it all works together and um answer as many listener questions as we can and so i'll see you guys there 